Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Back Sports Page Basketball Hour. That's a working title. Still working on a title for the new show, but um, a couple good things in store for you today. We're going to talk about uh, the NBA Finals. Just a quick recap because Game Seven, Game Seven was absolutely incredible. Um, we're also going to talk about LeBron's legacy. Uh, I can't believe it's being called into question. I can't believe it was even before this series, but we'll get to that. We're also going to talk about um, the trades that happened today. My disgust with the Derrick Rose move. Um, I, as a Knicks fan, I'm just not. I'm not a fan of it. I think it's just a name. But again, that's something else we'll get into. And we're going to bring Brian Shipley in here in uh, any minute. Now we're going to talk about the NBA draft towards the end of the show. Um, but first thing, since uh, I'm I'm here uh, flying solo for a few minutes. Uh, the first thing I really wanted to get into was uh, LeBron's legacy. All right, I, I think it's absolutely insane to listen to players in the NBA when asked, "Oh, what player in the league would you most want to play with?" and everyone says Kobe. Kobe is a ball dominant two guard that looks to shoot in every opportunity. And that's absolutely fine. He's had a, he had an amazing career doing so, but he wasn't always the most liked by his teammates. Not always the easiest guy to play with. You know, there's the report, like, <laughs> towards the end of his uh, his career there at the end of last season, um, Samaki Walker came out with saying that um, Kobe punched him in the face over, like, a $500 gambling debt uh, that they had on the plane and on the team plane. That's fine, you know, to be upset over the 500 bucks. I, got, I, I don't understand if you're Kobe why you would be. It's more of a competitive competition thing. I get that. That's fine. Um, but, I, I, again, that's sort of an example of what I mean by uh, by Kobe's insane competitiveness, competitiveness and not always being the most – not always being the easiest guy to play with. Um, and, actually, have Brian on the line. So, we're going to patch Brian in. Hey, Bill, Mr. how's Shipley, going? how are you? Good, too good, bad good. good to hear from you. Yeah. Hey, um, yeah, so I was just sort of digging into, uh, you know, LeBron's legacy and and just sort of why I think it's kind of insane when people talk about Kobe Bryant. Um, you know, here, oh, God, I'm going to actually have the finals on and uh, I forgot about the LeBron block towards the end of the third, or excuse me, towards the end of the second quarter. Um, but Anyway, uh, yeah, I was just sort of getting into, because I, I hear NBA players a lot of times when they're asked, like, oh, what player in the NBA would you most want to play with? Or what players, you know, what, who's the best player in the NBA? And people, even up until the season, would say Kobe. And I always thought that was insane. I, it's, it's not even, in my mind, it's not even close to being anybody but LeBron. I mean, I think the difference between the first uh, LeBron and the second best player in the league, I think that, that that gap is huge. It's the size of, you know, the Niagara Falls. Like, it's, it's, it's nuts to me that, that, there's even, that there's even a debate as who the best player is in MVP and the fact that Steph was unanimous MVP. It's, it's an arbitrary award, and I, I think that people forget the meaning of the word valuable. Um, but uh, but what, where does LeBron in your mind stand all time? All time, I would say he's one of the five best players ever. Um, you know, I think that I would throw him right up there with after MJ. I, I might even put him at number two. Um, I mean, it's hard to compare because you have some guys like, you know, your Will Chamberlain's and your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's or Shaquille O'Neal's who were so dominant uh, during right. each one's times. But it's also like they also had that, uh, 
you know, physical advantage or some sort of biological advantage that I think sort of put him over the top. But if we're just talking right. strictly guards and wing players, you know, I, I think after this playoff performance, I, I think he's leapfrogged Magic Johnson, and I would put him right uh, right behind MJ, and he's still got time to potentially surpass him. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, uh, you know, well, what centers have to, in my opinion, just sort of have to go in their own category just because of their insane size. Like, there was no one like Shaq in the league. There was no one like Wilt in the league at his time. And by all accounts, Wilt sort of underachieved, which is kind of insane to think about, uh, considering how dominant he actually was. You know, he, he, he was just on another level and sort of maybe belonged in the NBA like 30 years later than he actually played in it. Um, and so them aside, we'll say, you know, basically guys 6'10 and under. Um, I, I do believe that LeBron belongs right behind MJ. Having hadn't seen Magic play, though, I, I, it's hard for me really to even say. So I'll say players that I've seen, I, in my opinion, he's second. And like you pointed out, might have a crack at, at taking the crown. And I know it's difficult for a lot of people to uh, accept that anybody could take uh, take take Jordan out, but but you know it, it 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 can be done. You know he is the greatest player of all time. But I think revisionist history twenty years from now we're going to look back and LeBron is going to be talked about in the way that Michael is. Yeah, I agree. I, I've never seen a player that can just change the balance of powers in the NBA just by going to a different team, just just by going to a different franchise. I truly believe that if he went to, say, the 76ers or the Milwaukee Bucks in the offseason, which, of course, we know would never happen, but if he did, yeah. I would strongly consider them to be the new title, or excuse me, the new Eastern Conference favorite. Like, he's that good. I think he's proven he can play with an array of different players. You know, he makes everybody around him better. And, you know, as, as much of a specimen as he is on offense, I think we saw this series just what a phenomenal defensive player he is. Uh, you know, he's a coach's dream because it's the oldest play in the book and it's still the hardest play in the in the entire world to defend in uh, basketball terms, and that's the pick and roll. And if you're a coach, you never have to worry about the pick and roll when LeBron's involved because it doesn't matter if it's Steph Curry or the best center in the league. You can just switch it, and you know LeBron's going to be just fine. And I think right. between, you know, his ability to guard every single perimeter positions his ability to he's probably the best power forward in the league when they play that little small ball lineup and the fact that he was not going to get killed by really any center in the NBA and couple that with his terrific shot blocking ability that we saw this uh, series and his great anticipation where I mean how many steals did he have where you know I, I think back to game seven the other night and Golden State has a little uh I want to say five on four, maybe even a little four on three fast break. LeBron intercepts it right in front of the rim, throws it down to Mo Williams for an easy two. And he's just such a smart basketball player and just so much fun to watch. And love or hate the guy, uh, I totally agree. For people in, in our age vicinity, other than MJ, I don't even think it's close who's, who's next. And as great as Kobe was, I'll, I'll take give me LeBron all day. Right, and you know what's crazy? Everyone thinks of Kobe as a scorer. Like the scoring machine or whatever, but if you look at career averages, and maybe that's sort of unfair, but LeBron has better career averages in every major statistical category than Kobe. Um, oh, yeah. And it's, it, it's you know, and LeBron isn't even a ball-dominant scorer. His, pay, his points come organically. 
and within the flow of the game. And I know there will be times it will try to force his jumper. But LeBron, I've noticed, especially in this series and especially in Game 7, his jumper was not on. And if you notice, once he realized that, he lived in the paint. He absolutely controlled the game from inside, inside the paint. And they were exchanging. And it was funny because, obviously, Golden State lives and dies by the three. Um, but you just saw them jacking up threes, and then you'd, you'd see them come down, the Cavs come down the court. LeBron was in the paint. He was he was backing down Draymond. And, I mean, it, it's sort of like that old, you know, when you have like a, a, an Antonio Gates or Rob Gronkowski thing, um, when LeBron's in the paint, which is, oh, he's, you know, he's too fast for big guys and too big for fast guys. So and that's how LeBron is in the paint. And it, it's just, it, it's an absolute matchup nightmare. And I think LeBron's starting to realize that he's essentially a point forward. You know, he'll, he'll bring the ball down the court, obviously. But I think he's starting to accept the fact that he's not a three by trade anymore, that he's a four and he's banging down in the post and his game is starting to evolve a little bit, like a little bit like Carl Malone's offensively anyway, um, when he's right. in the paint and, it, and it's really impressive to watch. Like it's impressive to watch, you know, how he's evolved from, you know, a slasher. Um, and this is all just when he's scoring. I mean, there's so many layers to his game, but when he's, you know, when, when he's trying to score, when he's trying to put the ball in the basket, he goes from being a slasher, which he still does well, to backing, you know, big power forwards, big strong powerful forwards like your Draymond Green in in the paint down. And and LeBron always said that the hardest person he's ever had to he's ever had to face um uh offensively being guarded by is uh David West, who if you think about it, David West is really the closest guy in the NBA to LeBron's size. He always said that David West in his prime is the most difficult person for him to go against. Um uh, which is interesting because if you think how LeBron plays, that that's not the name that would come to mind. No, definitely not. But no, I agree. It's, it's really fun to watch his offensive game evolve and, and to make a, a cross-sport comparison. He kind of reminds me of Peyton Manning in the sense that, you know, for years we saw Peyton Manning manipulate things at the line of scrimmage in order to exploit the best matchup on the field, get yep. find whatever the, the weak link is. And I think that we saw that a lot in the finals with LeBron, where he would be patient, right? How many, yeah, run pick and that's roll a great after, point. Right, run pick and roll after pick and roll again, and then he'd get himself on uh, Steph Curry or on another favorable matchup, yeah. basically get himself away from Andre Iguodala, and that's when he really did a lot of his damage. And as a quick side note, I, I think the, maybe the most underrated storyline of the finals was Andre Iguodala having his back tighten up in what, game five or game six. Because yeah. out of everybody in the NBA, yeah, yeah, I mean, he does a very commendable job on LeBron, and we saw that when he was unable to guard him, I mean, it was just even beyond a bigger matchup nightmare than you would usually expect LeBron to be for everyone. And LeBron, sort of like Peyton, just knows when to go for that juggler, find the weak point, and keep pressing on it until you prove you can stop it. Right, and uh, that actually takes us into our, uh, we'll just do a quick finals recap as well. Um, what do you think that Iguodala's back tightening up was the key for the Cavs coming uh, key for the Cavs to winning the title and coming back from 3-1 or was it Bogut going out um, or well, do you think Draymond you know missing game 5 I mean you think of Draymond plays game 5 that Bogut doesn't get hurt and it's a completely different series 
Well, you know, I, I think that any time the finals or anything like that wraps up, we all want to paint it in the black and white, you know, A happened and B happened, and this is why the result was the result. But really, more often than not, it's just a confluence of a lot of small factors and variables that mix together, create a perfect storm, and kind of set the stage for what happened. And I don't think you can really pinpoint it as one thing other than do they benefit from Draymond Green going down? Of course. Andrew Bogut played a huge role in the finals last year. Did they miss him and have to give minutes to guys that probably shouldn't be playing in the finals in, in key critical moments? Yes. Uh, did Andre Godawa's back tighten up, play a role? Absolutely. But for me, nothing takes away from what the Cavs did. I mean, LeBron and Kyrie in game five just sort of did the old, uh, you know, jump on our back and we're going to lead us to victory. You know, game six, they got behind the home crowd and really just took control of that game. And then in game seven, you know, I thought they did a good job of standing some early blows from Golden State. And I think we've seen so many times this year on the way, uh, Golden State's way to winning 73 games where they get up seven or eight at halftime, go on a little run at the end of the first half. We saw many times in the playoffs, and then boom, they come out of the second half drain some threes, and before you know it, that four-point deficit or six-point deficit or eight-point deficit becomes 15. And I thought in game seven, a guy that's been criticized more, maybe more than any non-NBA superstar over the last decade is J.R. Smith. And J.R. Smith made three humongous three-pointers almost consecutively at the start of the second half. And that really, I thought, gave uh, Cleveland some confidence, put put the pep back in their step. And, you know, overall, gave him a chance in the fourth quarter for LeBron to do what LeBron does. And I saw a crazy stat where, like, out of the 13 field goals in the fourth quarter, nine of them LeBron either had the primary assist or was the scorer on it. And, hey, that's why you get those superstars and then build around them is for moments like that. And he really stepped it up, although, you know, Skip Bayless always says he's such a choker in the clutch. and. You know, I don't know how he was able to, to overcome his lack of a quote-unquote clutch gene, and I'm being extremely sarcastic right now, of course. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I know you are. <laughs> yeah, clutch gene thing is ridiculous. I, I, I think that I, – I think we're all digging for a signature shot, and, um, you know, we're all looking for the Jordan over Elo or the uh, Byron Russell or – or Brian Russell, excuse me, Brian Russell or whatever, big, big shot, and, you know – it, it's LeBron's game is layered so much differently than that. That being said, <clears throat> Kyrie's three. Um, <laughs> I don't know where he found the balls to shoot that. Uh, that was incredible. Um, but that along with LeBron hitting that, uh, hitting, splitting his free throws and going up by four as opposed to three was massive, massive, massive. And good on Draymond, by the way, actually, I, I, I actually, I came away game seven a bigger Draymond fan than I ever been because good on him for that. I mean, he played great defense there. I actually think that that was not necessarily a good foul. It, it was a clean foul. I think, you know, I, I think ugh, if LeBron doesn't fall as violently as he, as he does and it just he just goes back on his feet, I actually think that that may not get called. But um, I don't know. It, it, all I could say, I guess, is that the end of that game was incredible. It's up there. Excuse me. It's up there with uh, the University of Texas USC national championship game, uh, the Patriots Seahawks Super Bowl as being some of the best sporting events. You know, are the best 
championship game I've seen in my lifetime. I, I absolutely thought that this game was amazing, and I, it's everything I wanted all since Game Six ended. All everything I wanted Game Seven to be. It lived up to its hype, and I was I, I couldn't have been more pleased, especially with the outcome. I wanted LeBron to get another title, um, but I wouldn't have been that upset if Golden State uh, repeated. Yeah, I, I think that was probably the best NBA game from a pure entertainment standpoint since uh, the year that the Celtics had blew a 3-2 lead against the Lakers because that game six and seven were both you know pretty good games from what I remember. Yeah. But that was one of the best series I've ever witnessed. And, and the crazy part is, like, when Golden State went up 3-1, and it's not, I've, always, I've liked Cleveland's team all year long, but I'm like, man, it's just you don't have to be a math genius to realize that a team that won 73 games and came through the West and has all these star players, do I think that Cleveland could beat them in a best of seven? Yes. Do I think Cleveland can beat them three times in a row? I don't think so. And then, sure enough, though, they found a way, you know, win game five, get it back home, and then anything can happen in a game seven. And I was thinking about this, and I, I, I truly I don't want to pick on Steph Curry because I think he's terrific. I like him a lot. I think the hype train's probably gotten a little bit out of control on him. But I think if you put any other player in the NBA in place of LeBron on the Cavs, that's, that series is probably a sweep, and there's no way they're coming back from 3-1. Whereas I feel like, you know, if you put Damon Lillard on the Golden State Warriors or if you put LeBron on the Golden State Warriors or a few other players, I still feel right. like they'd be really good. And, and I just think that show is just – how incredibly special LeBron is where, you know, guys, Kyrie Irving, I was, I've been extremely critical of him over his career and I always thought he was going to be one of those guys that's an all-star every year and has all these great points and is a first round fantasy pick, but never plays in any big games. Cause I always thought he was kind of a losing player with his attitude on defense, his attitude on offense, his ball stopping nature. Like I said, J.R. Smith is everybody's been so critical of him for over a decade I think Kevin Love has been overrated throughout his career. Amon Shumper, the list goes on and on. Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson, you know, played key roles playing LeBron James, and I just think his ability to just lift some of these players up and win championships with them is just unbelievable. Yeah, I agree. Quick final thought, too, about this, uh, about this, and then we'll move on to the trades today. Um, <clears throat> curious two things. Where Kyrie's career goes post-LeBron, depending on how long LeBron plays for. Because uh, I think Kyrie will be hitting his, his apex towards the uh, end of LeBron's, towards the end of LeBron's tenure. Um, I, th- I, I, Ky- I came away, like I said, impressed with Draymond Green, but there's nobody I came away more impressed than than Kyrie in the series. I mean, he was huge, 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 huge. I mean, if, 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 if we're going off a 100-point system, LeBron was 55% of the reason that the uh, Cavs won the series, uh, especially going into game five. And, and Kyrie was right there, 45%, I think. I, I, I could not have come away more impressed with Kyrie. Um, I mean, a little weird hero ball thing at the, uh, at the end of game seven. But, you know, it didn't cost him. It didn't really end up mattering. But, uh, but, I mean, still, just to watch him mature as a player, because, yeah, you and I are both critical of him and Kayla and Kevin Love. You you always said that Kevin Love's stats were sort of fool's gold, I believe is the term you used when he was in Minnesota getting 26 and 15 and, you know, winning 23 games a year. 
Um, I thought Kevin Love was really good in Game 7. I loved his energy. He realized that it's it's LeBron and Kyrie's, you know, offense, and he was just going to bust his ass on defense, and that's what he did. He he played at really good defense, really good Kevin Love defense, which you don't say too often. Um, uh, he did a really good job. I forget the exact play or the exact circumstances, but I remember he had to guard Steph sort of on the perimeter a little bit and did a really good job. Um, Steph tried to do a pull-up three, if I remember correctly, and Love closed the distance pretty well and forced a tougher shot than uh, what was necessary, which is impressive for Kevin Love considering the guy's essentially a cardboard cutout on defense, or at least has you know, given himself that reputation. So could not have been more impressed with Kevin Love, but Kyrie was like, he was a revelation in the last three games. And basically all playoffs, he was, he was pretty fantastic. So, um, yeah, but he, uh, uh, final thoughts and we'll move on to the trade. Yeah. He, he, Kyrie certainly stepped it up and, and on offense, he was terrific. He's fun to watch on offense. He still gives me the shivers watching him play pick and roll defense and, and has a ways to go out there still before I'm ready to call him, you know, a legitimate top five, top ten player. But, you know, I agree with you. He definitely changed uh, my mind about him this postseason and was just phenomenal in the uh, really all playoffs, but especially those final few games in the in the finals. And you're right. I think it was 89-89 when Kevin Love shadowed Steph Curry like that. I'm literally yelling at the TV like, oh, no, oh, this is a bad matchup, bad match. This is not going to end well. And then he just did an outstanding job and, you know, really, that's what team sports is all about—competing, sucking up, and uh, you know, accepting your role, which is what Kevin Love in, in, did in Game Seven, and leaving it all out on the floor, which is what he did. I have a lot of respect for how he uh, he handled his situation in the finals this year. All right, Brian, you're listening to the Back Sports Page Basketball Hour, and I I, I never thought I would do this, but. I, I might I might just stop having a favorite team in the NBA, or maybe I'll just bandwagon with Cleveland since it's only a couple hour a couple a couple hours from Buffalo. But this Derek Rose trade, I, I, I maybe I'm just being a hater. I I just don't get it. The Knicks are acquiring a twenty million dollar con a year contract for a I don't even want to say aging for a player that's playing essentially on. Um, a space-saving spare tire for a knee, uh, just a forty-two percent free th- or a field goal shooter. Um, he's under under thirty percent uh, for threes. Just I I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. I, I don't know what the Knicks are doing. I hate this trade. I don't care about the pieces they gave they gave up. But if you're trying to build a championship team, which other than Cleveland isn't that difficult to do in the East, and pairing him with Mello, he couldn't get along with Jimmy Butler. How the hell does anyone think he's going to get along with Mello? Like, you and I love Mello, but let's be honest, Mello has done a fine job of rubbing a number of people the wrong way and running people out of town he doesn't like. And I just do not see this Derrick Rose and Mello pairing working out well. I don't like it for Porzingis. I think that – I just think it's an absolute disaster. I mean, I don't know what else the Knicks think they would spend their money on, but why not at least be aggressive and go after Kevin Durant? I, there's about as much chance as uh, Durant going to the Knicks as me going to the Knicks, I think. But 
I, I just don't get it, man. Uh, what are your thoughts? I'm actually going to stand up for the Knicks here, and I think that they should deserve some credit for at least trying, despite having no real trade assets, no real inventory of things to go out and get, uh, and an inability to attract high-level free agents there. You know, I think they have to get a little bit creative. And Phil Jackson loves his triangle offense, and Jeff Hornacek has come out and said they're going to run triangle principles, just space it out a little bit differently in order to adapt to the modern NBA. And in the past, we've seen veteran guards that have similar size and, and I don't want to say games, but similar attributes to Derrick Rose have a lot of success in the triangle offense, and I'm thinking of guys like Ron Harper way back in the day, Byron Scott, guys that look like, not Byron Scott, geez, I'm sorry, uh, I'm drawing a blank with a guy that was the uh, the coach for the, the Denver Nuggets a couple of years back. But Brian Shaw. Brian Shaw, thank you. And some other veteran guards that, that were point guards were kind of cast aside and really found a home within the triangle offense and in the Phil system. And I think Derrick Rose will has a chance to excel in this where, you know, not so much on him to play so much iso ball and do what he did at the beginning of his career, but more playing the system, attack the gaps when he has those opportunities. And, you know, I think if he really accepts it and buys into it, I think it can be a big success here. And I just look at it, too, as, it's it's an upside play. It's a guy that, you know, really it just stinks that Derrick Rose had so many injuries because I think early in his career we saw that he was going to be a really fun and really special player to watch. Unfortunately, I don't think he has a game that uh, ages well. You know, a guy like Steph Curry I think is going to be able to at least be a spot-up three-point shooter like his coach uh, Steve Kerr was for what seemed like forever in the NBA because he's kind of got that old man's game where, you know, those type of players might age well. Whereas a guy like Derrick Rose that just relied on quick twitch athleticism and blowing past people and getting to the rim and doing these things that are very fun to watch when you're young, you know, those skills are eventually going to erode and you better either be able to evolve or else you're not going to be the same player that you were as a young player. And I think, unfortunately for him, injuries kind of expedited that fact. But I think it's a good upside play for the Knicks to get a guy that could be pretty good and I don't think that they gave up anything that they're ever going to regret giving up. So I think it's a nice, you know, what's out there, what can we get without having very many trade assets. I mean, Phil Jackson's come under a lot of criticism, but I don't think people realize just what a horrific shape the organization was in when he first got there. And not to sound like an apologist, but I think he's done a pretty decent job of at least sending the, the program in the right direction. And many people, myself included, because I don't ever really know much about the Europeans in the draft, were just ragging on them for the Porzingis pick. And here we are one year later, and that looks like the best pick, or at least the smartest pick of the draft. So I think Phil's going to find some guys that maybe are undervalued and could excel in a little bit more than triangle offense or in the system that he and Hornacek are trying to run. And I think it's a nice opportunity for them to add a player, add a name, and try to get in an Eastern Conference where a team like the Knicks should be able to break the top eight just based upon market size, money, you know, the type of people they can get there. You know, I, I think they they have a potential to be a playoff team next year, and I kind of like the trade today. Um, all right, Dan. Dan just joined us, uh, so 
I'm going to bring Dan on. Dan lives in Cleveland. Dan's a lifelong Cleveland sports fan. Um, so I got to let Dan uh, have have his Cleveland moment. Um, he deserves it. I felt great for the guy. Uh, so after Dan's done, we're going to talk a little NBA draft. So, Dan, the floor is all yours, buddy. How are you feeling? <laughs> feeling pretty good. I can't. Um, there's no denying that. Um, yeah, I didn't catch any of your um, reaction to the series. I, I just heard probably 30 seconds on the end of uh, uh, you were talking about Kevin Love's defense. Um, yep. Obviously, the Cavs started out flat. Uh, the first two games, they looked like they were just disinterested. They didn't have any energy. Um, and then, the, obviously, the second game, they came out the same way. Um, and then uh, from there on, it was uh, the most historic comeback ever. I mean, we did win of, or lose, of course, uh, uh, game four in pretty devastating fashion, but um, and I, you know, I may sound like a homer right now, but given the fact that nobody's come back from a um, a 3-1 deficit, especially to a team that sets the regular season record for wins, I would say it may be the most impressive finals win ever. Uh, I, I agree with that. So, um, so Dan, what, just real quick and then uh, just quit, like give me 30 seconds. How, how so, on, a, on a scale from one to ten? Okay. Uh, how happy were you? Oh, I mean, I was an eleven. Um, obviously, LeBron reestablished the fact that he is the best player in the world. Um, uh, Kevin Love was looking a little rough there for a while, but like you alluded to um, at the end of your um, reaction, um, shockingly, the last, um, I believe it was minute and a half where he was guarding Steph Curry, that may be his signature moment of his career so far. Um, you know, and <laughs> given that he's not an offensive or, um, I'm sorry, a defensive guy, uh, that's kind of shocking. Um, I think Kyrie has kind of emerged. Um, I remember in the uh, pre-series um, prediction, we, you know, we talked about how Kyrie's been like a little under the radar and hasn't been given the credit that's due. And I think he really um, had his coming out party, and I think he uh, established himself as a future MVP candidate. And you know, hopefully he keeps improving and growing. He's only 23 or 24. Um, but um, shockingly, you know, he was the best guard in this series, um, and the MVP ended up being the third best guard in this series uh, behind – um, Kyrie and Clay Thompson. Yep. All right. You're listening to the Backsports Page Basketball Hour. Dan, we haven't come up with a better name yet, um, but uh, that's that's the working title for now. So, hi, right, Brian. Brought you on specifically to talk about the NBA draft because uh, I'm not sure how much college basketball Dan watches. I have a one-year-old, uh, right. so watching college basketball has been uh, sacrificed, unfortunately. So, um Brian, basically, I'm just going to let you start wherever you like. Who who are your favorite players? Well, Bill, to touch on that, I watch an embarrassing amount of college basketball, so <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed to say how much I watch it, but I love it. Uh, very excited about the draft tomorrow. Um, you know, to, to start, 
there's really no suspense at the top of the draft, at least for the first two picks, because we know Ben Simmons, who I do think is the best prospect in the draft and is almost a victim of his own success where he's been so highly regarded for years. Uh, he went to a prep school in Florida. That is, uh, their head coach is the same coach that, you know, coached just dozens of first-round picks, most notably Michael Kidd-Gilchrist while he was still a coach in New Jersey. And every program in the country wanted him. LSU ended up with him. And he was just in a bad situation this year where they had a mix of a top heralded recruiting class but some really talented and really good uh, veteran returnees. And the veteran returnees, you know, it's, it's simple high school and college politics. The old guard wants the young guys to earn it, and then, you know, they expect to be their team, whereas everybody's waiting for the new guard to take over and sort of dominate. I thought that, you know, just the way his coach used him or didn't use him enough was kind of jarring, especially at the end of games. And despite all this, he still put up just unbelievable stats for an 18-year-old freshman. But I think everybody was expecting, you know, the next LeBron or the next big superstar, the next Kevin Durant, whatever you want to call it. And the expectations were just a little bit unrealistic. But I still think he's an extremely, extremely polished prospect. I think at the very least the 76ers are going to get a guy that is going to be a phenomenal defender, like an all-NBA defender when he's in his prime and a guy that's going to be able to absolutely score around the rim and in the mid-range game. Uh, his biggest question mark is three-point shooting, uh, whether that's a skill that he can evolve at the NBA, well, I think will ultimately determine whether he's an outstanding all-star caliber player or that elite superstar franchise cornerstone. Um, and despite being 6'10", don't let him, don't let him fool you. He, he really is sort of like a point forward like we were talking about earlier with LeBron as far as someone that can get others involved score in a variety of ways, and, you know, what I like best about him is he's 6'10", he can block a shot or rebound on one end, pick up the ball himself, and go coast to coast and start the fast break and finish it on his own. So I think that is absolutely the right pick for the 76ers. Um, you know, and then, of course, Brandon, Brandon Ingram is going to be the next blue-chip prospect that the Lakers are able to add to their arsenal. Uh, I think this is an ideal fit for Luke Wallen because I think that Brandon Ingram was almost like a – prototypical type player for Golden State. I think if Golden State taught us one thing this year, the NBA has really gone positionless where the only time your position matters is really who, you, who you're going to guard on the other team. And Brandon Ingram just kind of reminds me of that prototypical Golden State player that can guard a, a variety of positions, or, you know, several positions, can shoot the three, real good shooter, can block shots, really can do it all. He's not as good as a one-on-one defender as Ben Simmons is yet, but I think he absolutely is a blue-chip prospect and, and will be uh, will finally help get the Lakers back into, into relevance, especially if D'Angelo Russell and Julius Randles and others can keep progressing. And then this is where really the draft kind of gets interesting and begins, is, is where is it going to go from there? You know, uh, there's a lot of reports that the Celtics are desperately trying to trade the third overall pick, but since I don't think there's a a guaranteed third blue chipper in this draft, there doesn't seem to be a lot of people biting on that. Uh, a lot of people have him picking Chris Dunn, who's a point guard from Providence. He's an older player. He's a junior. Uh, had a really, really nice season for Providence this year. He is prototypical starting NBA point guard, and if they do end up keeping the pick and drafting him, 
I think that opposing guards are really going to hate playing in Boston between his defensive game, uh, the defensive game of Avery Bradley, and the defensive game of uh, the guard they took from Oklahoma State. I'm drawing a blank on his name from a few years back. But uh, Marcus really Smart. Be, Marcus, yeah, yeah, Marcus, Marcus Smart. Smart. I think they'll really, really be good defensively, and I think Brad Stevens will like him. And I think he's a better uh, quarterback of the offense than Smart or Avery Bradley would be. So I think he would actually be a slight upgrade over both those guys. Um, you know, a few other players I really like. I love, love, love Jamal Murray from Kentucky. Uh, as you would expect from a freshman that leaves Kentucky early, he was one of the highest-rated recruits in his class. You know, a total blue chipper, and absolutely a natural scorer that can score from anywhere on the court. Uh, the biggest question mark for him is he's six-five, a little lean, and not the best of athletes. And he played point guard in high school, but he played the two guard in college. And he didn't play the two guard because he can't necessarily hack it as a point guard, but it's because he played with the player who was, in my opinion, the best, you know, pure college player as far as just trying to get wins and losses in college, not NBA future, and Tyler Eulis. And if you can put him a point guard, I think you have a guy that reminds me a bit of uh, Damon Lillard, just two inches taller, but is a, sort of a combo guard that can run the point but can also drop 30 and be your leading scorer and your go-to guy. So I think he's a very, very enticing player and in a league that values shooting an offense, you know, really more than ever before. Uh, you know, I think he's going to be you – know, I think he's a guaranteed top five pick all day, but I think he's really interesting. Um, a few guys that are fast risers. Mm-hmm. One would be Marquise Chris, who is another uh, blue, trip, blue chip prospect that went to Washington. And not to show my age or, or to date us here, but I know you both – Remember Darius Miles from the L.A. Clippers? Oh, yeah. I remember when he came yeah. into the league and he was just so god darn tall, athletic, and seemed like he almost didn't know what to do with his body. He was so athletic and still trying to figure it out. Well, Marquis yeah. Chris is just like, I, I just I can't stress enough how much of a freaky-deaky athlete he is, one of the best athletes to enter the NBA in years. And if you're a coach, I mean, this, this clay that you can sort of mold him into – is just, I mean, the, the the potential is limitless. He can shoot the three ball a little bit. He can block shots. He can rebound. Uh, 6'10", super long, long wingspan. I mean, he is just a phenomenal athlete. Also reminds me of, I'm just going to call him the Greek, the player that the Milwaukee Bucks stole in the draft a few years back. And I think that if there's one guy that we look back on and say, how did this guy not go number one overall in the draft? This would be him if he gets in the right situation and develops his skills and puts down some weight, which, you know, right now I think he's too skinny to really make his mark, but his athleticism and his upside is tremendous. A few other guys that, you know, I think will be very solid pros. I love DeMontis Sabonis, who is the son of the Sabonis that played back in the day with Rasheed Wallace. Arbitus. Yeah. Sabonis. The best uh, passing big man I've ever seen. I love that guy. He was so slick. I was a big Arbitus fan. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm hoping his son could be half as entertaining. Yeah, it's a shame we didn't get to see him until the end of his career because of those darn communists in Russia. But yeah, son, he was a Lithuanian team forever. Yeah, it sucks. Yeah, it really does. I, I, but I think his son, other than the blue chippers I've mentioned, has the highest floor 
in the entire draft. He played at Gonzaga the last two years, just turned 20 years old, and he's sort of an old-school post player that has you know, a variety of nice post moves around the basket, but he has shown that he does have a decent outside and mid-range shot. He can definitely hit those. Uh, he's a tenacious rebounder, attacks the boards. He's a great passer like his dad. He has an extremely high basketball IQ. I think whoever gets him, it's sort of like, you know, where with a guy like Marquise Chris, you're hoping you hit the home run and get the superstar. Sabonis is just the perfect double for me. Where he may never be a star or a superstar, but this guy is going to play 10 to 14 years in the league and really be a solid, if not starting big man, then, then a guy that plays an important uh, role in the rotation. And another guy that is just shockingly going up draft boards, because when he first declared, I kind of thought he would go back to school, and that's Cheeky Diallo, a freshman from Kansas. And he's another guy that was extremely highly regarded coming out of high school, blue chipper, all-American, this, this, and that. He got off to a late start in Kansas due to uh, eligibility issues from talking with an agent. Um, eventually he got into or was eligible to play, but the thing is he never really did play. He never really cracked Bill South's rotation. Uh, they had an excellent team this year, but it's still surprising to see a player of his caliber not really get any meaningful minutes. But he went to the NBA Combine and absolutely tore it up. And what I like about him is he didn't tear up the Combine just by showing supreme athleticism, even though he is really athletic. He just killed it in the scrimmages, just running up and down the court and rebounding, blocking shots, getting second-chance opportunities, just doing a lot of the, the dirty work. And although he's definitely not as big or reminds me of this player, sort of reminds me of Biombo from the Toronto Raptors, where you're just patient with them. The guy plays so hard and has such a nice motor that he can help your team despite not having a very uh, advanced skill set on the offensive end. And then, you know, other than that, I think probably the biggest name that people are going to hear about tomorrow is Buddy Heald, who obviously had a sensational senior year. Um, 6'5", can really shoot the ball, probably the best three-point shooter in the draft. Uh, he's not a Steph Curry-type guy that's going to create his own three-pointers off the dribble, but as far as a guy that can hug the three-point line and if somebody penetrates and dishes to him, you know he's going to make those threes all day. I heard a pretty good comp for him, which is J.J. Redick. And while J.J. Redick has never been a star, he's shown that he can be a solid contributor and a legit contender. And I think Buddy Hill can be that type of player too. And then Bill, just for... You know, the love of Syracuse basketball, the last guy I wanted to talk about is Malachi Richardson. Uh, back in February, I don't think anybody would have guessed that he even would have come out in the draft. And then he declared, took advantage of the new rules, which allows players to uh, stay in the draft and not have to announce their intention to either stay in or come back to school until May 25th. Previously, it had been April 15th. And Malachi just kept rising and rising and rising to the point now where uh, Adrian Wojciechowski reported that he has a promise from the Memphis Grizzlies that they'll take him at 17. So worst-case scenario, he's going to go 17th, and I think one of the reasons he's had such a rapid rise is he has the perfect shooting guard, or even, possibly even small forward body, 6'6", uh, six, six, can shoot the three, one of the few wings in, the, in this draft that can really shoot the ball from the outside. But he also measured incredibly with the wingspan of a seven-footer at the combine. So I think between his 
ability to score the basketball, defend a couple positions. And he really seems to have uh, an off-the-charts makeup and, and, and work ethic. I think he's going to end up being a pretty good, if not starting caliber player in a contender, or a good contributor type player on contenders going forward. All right, man. Uh, that's everything I wanted to ask you about. You kept hitting guys. I was like, all right, you talked about he talked about him, so I'm going to ask about Buddy Hill. Then you talked about Buddy Hill. I was like, all right, I'm going to ask about Malachi Richardson. It's like you knew what questions I was going to ask. So, um, all right, buddy, I know you got to be out at quarter to nine. Thanks for all that. Uh, I don't know about Dan, but I definitely learned a lot, and I'll probably be texting you throughout the draft tomorrow, which I'm really excited to watch. Um, really, really excited to see where our boy Richardson goes. And, yeah, I remember we went to the Syracuse game. We had those incredible seats against uh, at the North Carolina game at the Carrier Dome. And, uh, yeah, there's no mentions of from you who would know before any of anyone else I talked to uh, all the nut job Syracuse uh, Orange fans I have, fan friends I have, you never one time brought up that Malachi, you thought Malachi Richardson was coming out. So, um, so yeah, really interesting turn of events. Uh, and I, I really hope he has a good career in the NBA. Um, it doesn't really fall into the uh, Tyler Ennis uh, – <laughs> the Tyler Ennis uh, hole. Um, so, but anyway, buddy, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on. Um, you're always incredible at this stuff. Come on anytime. And uh, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. And, and Dan, congratulations, buddy. I'm, I'm very happy for you and, uh, and the rest of Cleveland to finally, finally get that title. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Thanks guys. Hi, right, Brian. Oh boy, and Brian, I always learn something. I always learn something. We talk draft. Up, up, and I just lost Dan. So did not mean to cut Dan out. Um, hold on, uh, technical error on my fault. Um, anyway, yeah. So when Dan comes back on, I know we already touched on the LeBron James legacy thing, but um, you know, I really want to talk to Dan about this. Um, he is a homer. He absolutely loves LeBron James. And as well, he should. I mean, he's the best player in Cleveland sports history. Uh, right, Dan, sorry about that. That was my fault. I went to click Brian off, and uh, he went off, and then your name popped up in the spot he was in. So, my mistake. But anyway, um, no worries. Yeah, so we're going to, yeah, we're going to talk a little LeBron legacy here. Um, and I trust you to be as non biased as possible, about as non biased as you can be, as about right. as non biased as Eli, about Eli Manning as I can be. So, you know, one one is better if they're sports than the other. I'm not going to name names, but uh, I'm sure we figure it out. But um, so, in your mind, where does LeBron rank all time? Wow, um, I would say top five all time. Um, yeah, I don't think I would. I wouldn't put him at number one. I, I mean, I just feel like, and this again, this is trying to be totally unbiased. I mean, obviously, we talk, I talked about earlier about how the Cavs needed game one and two and then kind of like, you know, to kind of wake them up. I don't feel like Jordan would have ever needed that. Um, I know that would probably be an unpopular opinion here in town, but I don't feel like Jordan ever needed that motivation. Um, all the, you know, all the talk that the Warriors had, I mean, I kind of feel like they were uh, – a lot of people are saying they poked the bear and really got him going, and that's when he went off. Um, I mean, I think he may be the best. 
I think he's the best forward of all time. Um, but I think he's the best player not named Michael Jordan ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I would say the difference that really sets them apart is, I mean, just that, that Jordan, I mean, he was just relentless and he didn't need motivators to get him going out. And I think if LeBron had that killer instinct, I mean, he does, don't get me wrong. He does. I mean, he takes over games and, um, Obviously, we all just saw what he did, but um, I just, you know, feel like Jordan never needed that. Um, an opponent to talk about him and, you know, say that he, you know, may have had his feelings hurt and everything else. And um, right and for that reason, I would put him. I I would put him top five. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, maybe top three. Um, I would put Jordan. That's fair. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, uh, I feel like they represent you know, two very different players. Um, I feel like LeBron yeah, represents I, the team guy that gets everybody involved, yeah. and Jordan represents the you know I do it all on my own. I take it all on my back, and I'm gonna yeah, you know, I'm gonna have that assassin attitude, and I'm gonna you know come out and crush you myself. Um, you know what's funny is that Jordan sort of built the mythology that he did it on his own, um, but in all honesty, of course he did. He had one of the five best players in the league on his team, and Scottie Pippen. He had the best mm-hmm. rebounder in the league in you know in in Rodman and Horace Grant. Very similar, played a very similar role. Ron Harper, Ron Harper, which I didn't know this actually because Ron Harper is just slightly before my time. Ron Harper, I guess, played for the Clippers before he went to the Bulls. It was like a about a 20-game scorer, and he goes to the Bulls, and he's like, at, you know, five or six points. But but Ron Harper, right, because, a player in his own right with, with a lot of talent and, you know, could have scored a lot of points and made a lot more money. Um, he was but he did, and he like went to deal with – He was the third wheel, the uh, Kevin Love or the Chris Bosh before yeah. Kevin Love and Chris Bosh. Um Right, and, it, yeah, and he also had Steve Kerr and John Paxson. He had a good bench. He always had a good center, and Luke Longley and Bill Wennington. I mean, those are both legit guys. I, I definitely think that – I think the mythology of Jordan, you know, Jordan did it on his own. Now, I definitely think you're right. I don't think the bear needs to be poked because I think if you're Jordan, I think that bear is always out hunting. But I definitely don't think we need to compare LeBron to Jordan in that sense because – there's 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 things in life called outliers, all right? Jordan's competitiveness did not leave him when he when he left the basketball court. I mean, that's why he had a gambling problem. Probably still does. He just right. has a billion dollars, so we just don't know that he's that he does because he's not broke. Jordan I remember watching this thing on BET and this is this is really obscure. I remember watching this thing on BET like it was Jay-Z and Jordan basically talking about money and the things that make them great. And they were like sort of just playing pool as they were doing it, you know, just a weird, silly show. And I remember watching it and Jay-Z beat Jordan in the first game of pool. And you, Jordan just quit talking and just focused on playing pool. And they're supposed to be doing like a TV show talking about rap and basketball and, and black culture and stuff. And LeBron, or, um, LeBron, um, Jordan just gets pissed off and he stops, he stops even talking. He starts playing pool and he beats Jordan, he beats uh, Jay-Z. And and yeah. then he's 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 a little bit better, but I mean that's a, he's sour at everything when he loses. Like he's the 
I, oh, yeah, I think it was Rick I mean, Riley after the Jordan retirement speech that referred to Jordan as the first ever sore winner, which is interesting too. So I just think that yeah. that kind of guy is rare. That's not. I don't think mm-hmm. it's a fault of LeBron to be like that. I think it's unfair. I think that's a chemical imbalance in Jordan's head. I think that's why sure. he is the way he yeah, is. Yeah, I mean, he was and know, he, he was notoriously one of the most ruthless players. I mean, he would he would run his own guys and practice out of the gym. I mean, to your own yeah. teammates, you're doing you know just degrading them. I mean, it's but he was known for that, and he yeah. And you're right. I mean, him like, and Steve Kerr didn't get along. He punched Steve Kerr in the face. Like he did. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you know, I mean, I, I mean, other than go ahead, sorry. Um, you know, and the thing is, obviously, everybody needs a certain amount of competitiveness to get to that level. Um, but, yeah, Jordan's just, like, one of the highest competitors on steroids, you know. It's, you know, in terms of competitiveness, you know, it's just, he's just out of out of this world. Right, and that, that to me, was always his greatest attribute. I think maybe, I think he elevated, he elevated himself to levels that, I don't think his talent alone would have taken him. I, I think if he's less competitive, I think he maybe gets one title as opposed to six. I think if all things being equal and you take 10% of that competitiveness away, I think he wins two, one or two titles as opposed to six and what possibly could have been eight if he didn't leave. Um, and I, I think How that, you know, Go ahead. How different had had he have been if he was picked number one and wasn't passed over a couple times there? Um, because I um, think that kind of mentality also. I think not not necessarily Elijah Wan pissed him off. I think that the Sam Bowie, uh, especially yeah. later in his career, I think. But I think he needed to get. I think he needed to to play those Piston series too. I think that there's a lot of layers that it took for Jordan to become Jordan because. You know, when Doug Collins was his coach, and he had a one coach in between Collins and Jackson, and I'm drawing an absolute blank out of his name, but they just let him score. Once Phil got there, Phil was like, okay, you can score 40 points a game and not win, win anything, or you can score 30 points a game and win everything. And Jordan realized that, and I think Phil was the first guy to get through to him. I just think it took a number of things for Jordan to become Jordan. It wasn't just Jordan that made himself. Um I, and and I would, then staying competitive, I just think all this stuff helped him. I think trading yeah. for Scottie Pippen in nineteen, I believe, is eighty-seven or eighty-eight. That helps. That's huge. Scottie Pippen right. guards the best player on the other team. Jordan, obviously, a great defender as well in his own right, but he's not guarding, you know, uh, uh, what their version of a stretch forward be Pippen is. Um, and that's no fault of Jordan's, and that's not an indictment on Jordan. It's just more that there's so many layers to Jordan's greatness that I, I think it's I think it's absurd to even compare LeBron and Jordan. I, I really think LeBron's comp is is magic, and I and, and maybe he tra- maybe after this title he's transcending a comp. Maybe he's just the first LeBron, and Ben Simmons is going to be the next LeBron, or there's going to be another guy that's going to be the next LeBron. Because I think maybe you know maybe we should just enjoy LeBron, stop comparing him to everybody, and just and just enjoy watching the best player in sports do basically be in his prime and win championships. I, I just don't think he's this, this whole thing, if you're a sports fan, is being appreciated enough. I completely agree with that. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I do think if he retires, he, people will be 
will be phasing out the, uh, you know, the, uh, the magic comparisons, and then they'll be putting in the LeBron comparisons. Right, and and you know what? It's not really fair to Magic to to, to go to the LeBron comparisons because Magic was never he never was a score he never emphasized scoring like that wasn't that wasn't what he did. He got everybody else involved. He was the ultimate point guard. The same thing with John Stockton. And the same thing with Jason Kidd. These guys were point guards that had the ability to probably get their shot and score you know anywhere from five to eight points more a game if they wanted. But that necessarily didn't translate to winning. Where LeBron, like I said to Brian earlier, LeBron, I noticed that his points come a lot more organically than he doesn't force things like Kobe. And this is why I think that Kobe, you know, oh, like players in the NBA, sometimes you'll hear him say, oh, what player would you most want to play with in the league? And and the two names I always hear are Kobe and Garnett, which I can't think of two players on the planet that I would least want to play with than Kobe and Garnett. They both punch teammates. Like, they're both, you know, right. run guys ragged. Both of them, you know, not necessarily Garnett, but Kobe was just so ball-centric that it was almost impossible, like, for, for somebody else to, to really shine, especially if you were a shooter with him. I, I, I think that the, the – I think it is sort of silly to say he needed Shaq to get, to get his titles because I think he proved that with a decent team with, around oh, him he was good enough yeah, to elevate. Yeah. Ball. Yeah. Right, but no player's ever yeah. done it by themselves. No player. I mean, Scottie Pippen's the top 50 player of all time. Scottie Pippen, yeah. I, and I, I mean, in, in that time, probably behind Elijah Wan and maybe Barkley, it was top four, top five player in the league. I think it's absurd. It's right. absurd to say Jordan did it on his own. Um, yeah. You, you know, but yeah. You know, somebody brought up an interesting point earlier this week, and they were saying, like, well, a lot of people say, well, LeBron, and before this week was – uh, what was he two and four? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Two he was, and four. He was two and three. He, people were saying he might be two and four after that series. All right. Well, you know, if, if you look at it, and they're like, oh, well, even if he wins, he gets he has three titles compared to Jordan six. Well, why doesn't anybody ever compare Jordan six to Bill Russell's what ten? Eleven. Yeah. No, LeBron. Is, LeBron in this would have he was two and four going into this final. Because um, he went once right, with Cleveland right, right. beforehand, four times with the Heat, and once last year, and obviously this year. So that's seven. So yeah, um, everyone forgets that terrible. I, that 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 to me the O seven finals. Oh my god, dude! It's so impressive that he got that ragtag. But who was the second best player of that team? Jameson, Pavlich. <laughs> I mean, it, it may have been the worst team to ever get to. No, I would no. I would say it's in Junis Lagasta. It may be the worst oh, overall oh. team that's ever gotten to the final. Period. Yeah. And he dragged them. Yeah. He dragged them across the the finish line in the Eastern Conference, and obviously the Spurs, um, being the complete team, and you know still being younger, um, still, you know, um, they pretty yeah. much you know took it to the woodshed. Right, and, and you know what? I think LeBron needed that. I think that was his Detroit Pistons series. I think that I think right. the well, actually, um, I think his Detroit Pistons were the big three in Boston. Um, you know, you know, a great yeah, that's a great Pierce point. Joke that's a, the that's other a better night. point. Yep. Yeah, uh, Paul Pierce joked during the finals when he was doing the uh, um, he was doing the three games or doing the commentary, and he was saying he's like, well, LeBron doesn't really have anything. I'm paraphrasing here. He says something to the effect like LeBron doesn't have anything to worry about because I'm not out there. 
And uh, <laughs> wow, yeah. And this may actually contradict my point from earlier, where I mentioned about how the lawyers kind of got under his skin and motivated him. Um, yeah. You know, some people think that after that, those um, series with the Boston Celtics, that that's when his yeah. um, skin got thick, and you know, you know, some you know trash talk from the Warriors may not. You know, before that would have affected him. Now it just wouldn't resonate the same way. Right. I think that. I think the. I think the Dallas series really, really. I that that I think to harden him a little bit too, because that was the first time. Uh, you know, uh, not the first time he was criticized because he was he was crushed for the decision. Absolutely crushed. But I, I think that he sort of went into an fu mode in the season. Um, and then, but I think that Dallas series, as far as as his ability as a player, I think was huge because I think that was the summer that he hired Akeem Olajuwon and got better in the paint. And then I want to say he led the NBA in points in the paint, I think, over the next three years. Like, I, I want to say that, that this, yeah. Um, I'm actually at the finals on where we're talking right now, and I forgot about that, that Steph Curry three to tie it at 83. Um, that was actually a huge shot. Um, but anyway, uh, I DVR. I'm never deleting this game. I don't think. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Steph, Steph did take some bad shots, but I actually forgot about that one. That was huge. Um, you know, this but was anyway, two bad finals in a row. I mean, really, in this series, he was really only effective in Game Four. I believe it was. Yeah. Yep. Last year was what Game Five, right? Yeah, he didn't heat up till game five. So I don't think it's like, um, you know, just just a bad series. I think it's I think it's more of a trend than a, you know, just a right. Thirteen game sample size, one. man, and he's he's his points drop about eight in in this. He's he's a lower shooting percentage. Um, well, I think it shows yeah, when you I, get full with him, he just wilters. Well. This would be the second show that we've done, and in each show we've brought up – one of us has brought up Colin Cowherd, whoever's on the show. Colin Cowherd brought up a great point about Steph, which is take away his jump shot. What is he? What else does he do to control the game? He has, he has ball handle. He's a bit of a – he's a good – he's a good uh, – God, he's a good ball handler. I'm having a stroke right now. He's a good ball handler. He's a decent passer, even though that behind-the-back thing was – I don't know what the hell he was thinking, but outside of that, what's he do? Um, but then you watch if LeBron shots not falling, what's he do? He's he's going to the basket and getting shots for people. He's creating he's space. Passing the ball. Um, he's passing the ball. He's rebounding. Yeah, he's playing defense on the best player on the other side. Like, all right, and and we did. That's you know, why I mean, you were on, the Steph Curry we, thing. Go ahead. The Steph Curry thing. He is probably the greatest shooter ever. Um, he is, but yeah, just all around. Right. I mean, when you go around and you know look at the you know the different various skills, he's just not. He's right. not. It's not all encompassing. Right. Um, he's not I mean, has an MVP ever had a worse finals ever? No, this is the worst. This is the worst uh, finals by an MVP ever, um, and this is also the worst. Um, uh, I think it was the worst game seven for an MVP 
Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of them. I think they're splitting hairs with those stats uh, other than the finals thing. Uh, but I think it was like, this is the worst six MVPs ever had, worst game five. It was it got a little ridiculous. But anyway, oh, Blake Lively's looking good in that Shallows commercial. Oh, my God. Um, uh, sidebar, I saw Deadpool. Nah, I could take it or leave it. But anyway. Yeah, I, um, I, I didn't see what everybody saw in it. Like, it, it was good. It was worth watching once or twice. But Right. If I, I had thought in theater, I would have been mad that I spent $14 on it. Yeah. There are some chuckle moments for sure, but I definitely I thought it was just joke after joke. And I think you said hashtag something, and I, I, I almost threw a shoe yeah. on the TV. I can't stand that. Um, but anyway, because uh, I think that, I think he's married to Blake Lively or something, so uh, good for him. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, uh, so basically to just put a ball on the show, because I'm getting extremely tired. Um, basically to put a ball I'm on the show, the let's boat. just say, yeah, um, let's just uh, just just – what I was going to say, actually, remember now the point I was going to make, which is, uh, remember in um, the Eastern Conference Finals uh, against Chicago, LeBron was so pissed off that Derrick Rose got the MVP over him that he guarded Derrick Rose, and um, I think Derrick Rose averaged an, an absurdly low, like, 13 points a game and shot 29% from the field when LeBron was guarding him. Like, right. that's insane for that size difference. Like and yeah. and that's Derrick Rose, the absolute apex of his athletic ability, which rivaled yeah. the best in the league, being guarded by, you know, LeBron just one thousand percent shutting him down defensively. And I, right. I don't know, man. Just 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 to sort of drive my point home, and then I'll let you finish since this is your, uh, since you know you this is your this is your, um, you know. This is your this is your time. You, you know this is the last big Cleveland moment you're gonna have until next year's finals because the Browns are. Uh, who knows? They're not. They're not are, yet. Uh, I think still in first place. That's a fair point. That's a very that's a very fair point. But anyway, um, the series, yeah, it looks pretty good. Yeah, the, basically, the thing that I really want to drive home about LeBron is just just I wish people would just stop hating. I wish they just. I don't know why everyone feels Tom like Brady, He's basically the Tom Brady of the NBA. Everybody hates you're him. You're literally the third person I heard. Yeah, you're the third person that said that actually since uh, since since uh, Monday, since Monday at work. Right. I got They're into work. You're the third person, great. and it's a yeah, it's a great comparison. We should just, as opposed to, you know, bitch about their um, the bitch about the reason we dislike them. We should probably mm-hmm. start embracing the fact that. We're not going to see that level of greatness in the near future. No, not anytime. So, and, and sorry yeah, for so, everybody uh, who thought that Steph Curry was. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, he, yeah. That's just go, you go ahead though. Sorry, I'll let you finish. Yeah, I mean, he is the best player of our generation, and obviously, I'm lucky to have him on our team, and it's it's he's. Just, I mean, you just can't say enough good things. And, I mean, has there ever been a story quite like these finals where not only do you end a 52-year curse, but you beat the team that set the record for wins, and you come back from a deficit that no one, no one else has come back from. Yep. So, and you get revenge for last year, too. I mean, yes. That was definitely you, – you talked about um, LeBron getting upset about Derrick Rose being MVP. He was definitely upset that Steph Curry was MVP. 
because uh, if you take him off the Cavs, they're nowhere near the team. And if you take Curry off the uh, the Warriors, I don't know that they. I mean, they had, they would definitely be contenders for sure. Yep. Uh, somebody said at the beginning of the playoffs. Brian just said it. Switch to Steph Curry and Damian Lillard. This team isn't that much different. Not that much different. And uh, I would argue that the Warriors' best player overall at basketball is not Steph Curry. I think it's Clay. Clay's a great defender. Clay is almost as good of a shooter. Clay is bigger. He's more physically imposing. He's just he, there's mm-hmm. just Clay does a lot more things and stuff. I think Clay and Draymond are way more valuable to to the Warriors than uh, than Steph. So, anyway, this has been the Backcourt's Page Basketball Hour. Now, hour and uh, almost ten minutes. Um, thanks to Brian for coming on. I was uh, I was happy to get his NBA draft thing because the NBA draft is tomorrow. I'm really curious to see what Boston does. The first two teams, we already know what's going to happen. Curious if Boston can find a trade partner for that third pick. Um, maybe it's the Cavs for uh, Kevin Love. Who knows? Seems maybe. unlikely. Kevin Love and yeah. uh, Jake Crowder. I would love to see Jake Crowder on the Cavs. I think he'd be a better fit than Kevin Love. Uh, I 100% agree with you. I think um, I, I love Jake Crowder. I thought Rondo for Jake Crowder. I think you give that physical toughness down, you know, um, Yep. That Kevin Love just didn't bring. And, you know, I'm really happy that Love came through and pretty much um, vindicated the trade um, for Wiggins. Um, yep. You know, just by getting that title. Um, and I'm glad to yep. see he had a big impact on Game 7. Uh, but if they moved him to get better, to contend next year for a better fit, um, I don't think talent was ever the issue. I think it was just fit with the Cavs. Yeah. I wouldn't be upset if, no, they, I... if they found better fits that – you know, put us back in the same seat next next uh, next year. Right. Nope, I agree with you. Um, curious about free agency. LeBron's not going anywhere. Let's let's not even no, entertain no. that. That's that's not. That's, I don't think he goes there. Yeah, that's, I think that's all media driven. Right. Yeah. I think There's media no driven. That can get that kind of control. No, I uh, I love the fact that he's looked Dan Gilbert in the eye. I was a fan of that, and I, I do think that um, uh, interesting to see where Kevin Love goes. We'll talk about that next week because uh, unless he does go somewhere before that, I think the Warriors are a terrible fit. Um, I, I would not like that unless they moved a piece, you know, one of the big three uh, for the Warriors to, to make room for Love and his shots. Um, I would think the person would have to be Steph or Clay. I can see that. I think. Yeah. I can't either. I, I just I just don't see if they have. All four of them. How for one they pay for all four of them. That's and I mean their bench would just get Kevin sacrificed. Love or Kevin Durant. No, I'm talking about Kevin Durant going to the Warriors. Um, oh, um, that's the big rumor out there that he wants to go there. I don't buy that for a second. But that's I think another media-driven thing. I mean, if you look at the numbers, um, he can make so much more if he just signs a one-year deal, and then yep. basically what LeBron's going to do because LeBron's supposed to sign his big five-year extension, I think the cap goes up big time next offseason, and then that's kind of yeah. where it's going to peak and he'll make the most money. And I think that's when LeBron yeah. will LeBron will sign another one-year deal. Then next year he'll sign the long-term deal. And I think Kevin Durant's going to do the same thing, even if he intends to go somewhere else long-term. If he waits till next I year, agree he can you. make a lot more money long-term with somebody else. Yeah, and he's only 27. His yeah, he's only 27. His skill set is pretty is 
is is not gonna evaporate like Derrick Rose's. I mean, he, he's gonna be able to shoot forever. I think he's gonna sign one more massive contract, and as well he should. He should line his contract up with Russell Westbrook's, which ends next season at the end of next season. I think they make one more run at it. I mean, they almost were in the finals. They were really close, and I just don't see. I think another year under Billy Donovan, who I think did a really good job this season. He was definitely an upgrade over Scotty Brooks. Um, I think they tasted it. I think they're going to be super motivated next year. They're my early pick to come out of the West. Um, if if Durant stays, I think he should do exactly what you said: um, sign a one-year deal and uh, make another run at it. And uh, I think he'd be silly to go anywhere else. I really think Oklahoma City. What? Where's he going to go? I agree with that, that he's going to play with a better player than Russell Westbrook. Yeah. Who else is he going to pair with that's going to be a better player and that he would fit in outside of Golden State? I mean, he's going to go to Washington and, and play with John Wall? Yeah, I would definitely take Russell Westbrook over John Wall, you know, seven yep. days of the week. Yeah. Um, and I like John Wall. I, I, that would be a I'm huge downgrade. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. But he's just not Why would you want to go to the East? Like, right, why would you want to go to the East? I, honestly, you're not going to get past the Cavs. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a, a big yeah. part of the reason, and LeBron said it without kind of saying it directly, is a big part of the reason why he left the Heat is because he actually, we're going back to Boston, he saw how Boston got really old really quick. And, I mean, yep. let's be honest, Dwayne Wade is still a really good player, but he's not the player he once was. Chris Bosh, and I feel really horrible about this, but his health issues with the blood clots and everything – um, did they even make it out of the first round this year? I cannot remember right now. Yeah, they did. They were in the second round. They uh, they took Toronto to a game seven um, oh, to go to the Eastern right. Conference Finals. But even still, I mean, that's a really good team. Um, but that's as far as they're going to get without LeBron. I mean, so, so uh, right. yeah, I, I think it's stupid if Durant goes anywhere. I mean, I really think that um, – uh, I, I don't know. I just don't see any huge major free agency moves. But anyway, we'll talk about that next week. Um, this has been uh, Back Sports page. I almost forgot the name of the show because we still haven't figured out one yet. Um, but uh, this has been Back Sports Someday page we'll come basketball. up with ball. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, we'll try before. We have the whole summer to think about it. Uh, basketball, back Sports page, Basketball Hour. Uh, Dan Panici. Uh, how, do, how do we say your last name? It's Panici, right? I should freaking know this. I've known you since 04. Yeah, it's an issue. Okay. Suri confuses me because I use her when I'm at work. So I'm like, call Dan Panici. Suri calls you Dan Panici, which I, I don't get. So that, that's been screwing me up. So anyway, um, that's Dan Panici. We'll just say Dan P. How about that? They'll think you're Dan Patrick. Maybe we'll get like more than seven people to listen to this. Um, Somebody will so think anyway. coming off the host. Yeah, exactly. Somebody uh, some that actually is. Yeah. You know what? As a joke, I thought about doing that. I thought about trying to do an impression of somebody. I think maybe I can do Mark Stein's voice if I uh, really practice and just pretend really I was Mark nasally. Stein the whole time. But uh, yeah, really nasally. But then my voice is starting to. Yeah. Sources close to Dirk Nowitzki said that he is going to opt out of his contract. Mark Cuban That's killing himself as we speak. Um, but and he's anyway, kind of got yeah. a nasty attitude about him, too. <laughs> he does seem like, damn, LeBron came out of nowhere. Block That block just came up on the recorded, uh, the recorded um, Game 7. That block One of the great all-time plays. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by anyway, the way, damn it, Dan. Uh, yeah, go ahead. By the way, um, we were just we just spoke about the the Thunder. I felt really horrible when I lost that series, um, but now I'm really happy with how it, how it played out. Yes, I am too. I am. I could not be happier uh, for the state of Cleveland, our state of Cleveland, state Perfect. of Ohio, all the Cavs fans. Um, uh, so anyway, back to the page uh, basketball hour. Uh, that's Dan. I'm Bill. Thanks to Brian, and we'll see you next week. Later, buddy.